Greetings, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Decision Hour. I am your host, Adam Bird, and I have another great interview lined up for you today. I got a question for you all out there. What is your health and God's word? How do, how do you bring the two together, right? Well, we're going we're gonna to get that answer today. Um, my guest today is a, is a lovely lady who I had the privilege of meeting through a mutual friend of ours uh, just a couple of months ago. And what her and her organization are doing is absolutely fascinating. It's something that uh, I am proud to know these people. It's, it's what we're going to get into today is something that needs to be said that's not being said. So uh, before I just jump on a soapbox and just start going off on a tangent, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Maureen Diaz of God's Good Table. How are you, ma'am? Hi, I'm great, Adam. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be with you today. Well, I appreciate your time. Um, I want I want to dive right into this, but but first off, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you how God's Good Table got started. How it came to be. Well, first of all, I am wife to a wonderful man named George and mother to nine incredible human beings. Um, That's kind of unusual, of course. But um, I grew up in a typical American household. I was one of six kids and uh, I watched my grandmother die of a heart attack. My mother have asthma, allergies, um, I believe she was diabetic, all kinds of, you know, health problems. And then when I was about 12 years old, she changed her diet, um, not to the point that I wish she would have, but she changed her diet. She lost over 150 pounds. And with that, she also lost all of her health diagnoses, all of her crises. So where she used to keep a you know, emergency shots and stuff in the fridge, that all went out the door because she didn't need it anymore. So that, of course, made a huge impression on me. And then as a young wife and mother, um, I was ruminating over these things in my mind. I remember being pregnant with my eldest daughter, Erin, who's my business partner, and thinking how amazing it was that my body could create a human being and how could that even happen and at that time it didn't even occur to me that really what I put into my body had much of anything to do with the outcome but I was trying to eat sort of natural and whole I I felt like with the experience of watching my mother that must have something to do with at least not getting sick but as the years went on and I'm married and having these children, um, I teetered on the edge of veganism for a while. I learned about the hallelujah diet, which was really a vegan diet before vegan was a thing. And it made sense in my mind, except for that it didn't. <laughs> it made it made sense to a point, but I'm lying on the sofa just completely washed out and sick from being pregnant and craving a McDonald's cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I would I would slip out and go. And go. <laughs> I knew McDonald's was awful. It wasn't something I normally did. But <laughs> I, I'm on the edge of, well, okay, we don't really need animal products and salt is bad and fat is bad, but I want a McDonald's cheeseburger. Right. 
Um, so I, I started to really think about that. And eventually I came upon the book Nourishing Traditions by Sally Fallon Morell and the Weston A. Price Foundation. I was really actively trying to learn before there was the Internet. Um, we were on a budget. I couldn't afford a lot of books, but I, I bought what I could and learned what I could. And I made my goat milk soaps and lotions and potions. And I would go to conferences. I'd sell that stuff so I could go to a conference and learn from people who knew stuff that I wanted to know. Right. It was at one of those conferences where I heard the work of Dr. Weston A. Price. And that was completely, utterly, totally life changing to me. And so that, coupled with that Nourishing Traditions book, sent me down a path of real nutrition, sound nutrition. It was like an epiphany. Light bulbs were going off in my head with every page turn. Um, and I realized that true health is found in, physical health is found in what we put into our bodies, what we drink, what we eat, even, of course, what we breathe in. But I also was realizing that God had a plan for this. Mm -hmm. So while I'm sitting in a church pew or I'm in Bible studies and we're discussing all kinds of things about what the Bible has to say about marriage and family and life and on and on and on, and they're belaguring certain points, there are all of these people who are around me who have major health problems. And they're not thinking even once to look to the Bible to see what the Bible might have to say. I wrote an article about this that is on our website. It's titled, Why Don't They Get It? I and, was and let me, let me interrupt you real quick. Those of you that are listening to this right now, it means you're already on the Internet. So open up another browser and go to godsgoodtable.com and you'll be able to find the article there. Sorry, Marie. Continue. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, please do. That article really sums it up for me. Um, I have consistently seen over the years where the principles that I've learned and that I teach actively about good health and healing with non-toxic modalities all are rooted in a biblical system that God created. Mm -hmm. And you have to ask yourself, if God created us so perfectly, we are perfectly and wonderfully made then wouldn't he also have a plan for how how we're to stay healthy? And in fact, he does. And right. he lays it out very clearly, particularly in the Old Testament law. He wanted his people to be, he needed his people to be strong physically as well as spiritually in order to conquer the promised land, to fill the earth, and uh, to, you know, all of the missions that he had for all of us, including Daniel, right. we can talk about the Daniel plan. Um, he had a plan and we have abandoned that. He had it. A, he had a plan for agriculture. We've totally abandoned that plan. And in both of those cases, which are just intrinsically entwined they're they go together. <laughs> agriculture and physical health they go together and then you add the third aspect which is spiritual and without those three components that god provides we cannot enjoy physical health we can't enjoy true spiritual health i believe um, we can we can be missing the other two parts of the equation right. and be spiritually strong 
But to fulfill our God-given purpose, we need the physical strength as well. And I believe that that's why God was so clear with his plan to the Israelites. And he never took that plan away. In New Testament times, yes, things changed, but he still had an established plan for our physical there health. Was, there was still the base foundation going into the New Testament that we were supposed to follow. Absolutely. And, and didn't, right? Right. Um, man, there's so, there's so much there, and I'm trying to harness all my thoughts right now. Of, of, of <laughs> <laughs> like You're talking like old school, Old Testament stuff, and, and then leading into the New Testament stuff. Here's a question for you. How long have you been doing this? Um. We just celebrated our 35th anniversary. I was actively seeking answers and trying to learn for about the last 33 years. The last 22 years probably have been intense. Okay. So, so um, Marine, you have somebody that's listening right now, and, and maybe they're a Christ follower. Uh, maybe they've picked up a Bible once or twice in their life. And we, we all know I'm, I've been guilty of not reading my share as I should. But for somebody that's, that is listening right now and they're hearing what you're saying, is there mm-hmm. maybe one or two passages in the Bible that you would recommend for them to, to start or at least look at to get started on it? Well... First of all, I I do always go back to that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's just no getting away from that. Um, I wrote an article recently um, called Nose to Tail Nutrition, which in which I list quite a few scriptures. Um, I'm just going to try to pull it up. And while yeah. and while you're doing that, I want to talk about the the nails or the the nose to tail nutrition because you recently had a summit. Uh, was it earlier this month? Yes, um, it was just a couple weeks ago, yeah, a few, week and a half ago. Yeah, 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 a few a few weeks ago on that, talking about nutrition and bringing God's word into that. So I'm I'm while she's looking up the passages and stuff, folks. I want you again. The website is godsgoodtable.com, and I love the fact that you put Bible verses on the website here. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalms 139.14. And yes. that, that is, I, I love seeing that because I, I, I feel like as a society, we have, we have gone away from talking about religion. And, and, and I, I, I would really like to know, and, and forgive me, because I tend to not have a filter, Marine. So I'm I'm going to apologize right now. <laughs> but I'd like to find the person that said it's it's rude to talk about religion and politics to people. Oh no! No, I'd like I to th- I'd like to throat punch that person. I really would. I know that's not a godly yeah. thing to say, and I accept that. But I I I honestly think we need to be talking about God and bringing it back into schools. I remember I'm a little seasoned and i'll remember as as a child growing up there were certain things that you did and we learned about mm-hmm. that in in school you went to sunday school on sundays you know i came from a small 
town in in you know the Northwoods, Wisconsin. And yeah. and then as it got older, you just kind of see that stuff fade away. Like, oh, we don't talk about that stuff because you might offend somebody. Yeah. Who cares? Like, oh. We're we've moved so far away from God politically, and and yet you look at the writings of all of our founding fathers. You look at the inscriptions on all of our government buildings. God is all through that. Yeah. All through. You even look at our, a, our currency. Yeah. yeah. In God we trust yeah. everything. It's yeah. all about God. And in the beginning, I think our principles were the best, the best that the world has ever seen, uh, largely because they were rooted on God's word. Now, in Old Testament times, um, the Israelites, the system that God created for them was political, social, and spiritual and physical right it was all of those things they were they were they it was all one package now in america to today we've gotten so far away from the spiritual um much much to our detriment it makes me angry to see people trashing the constitution and and trampling the american flag and spitting in the faces of of uh you know what I consider heroes, police officers and military personnel. Um, I We don't live in a perfect world. We know that. And I think that from the 50s through the 60s and even into the 70s that we were all so comfortable that we became complacent and allowed things to happen. I remember being a teenager and thinking, wow, the world is really starting to go downhill and I could not have even fathomed what we now have. Yeah. Um, Sad. Sad. Yeah. It's 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 it, it, and, and tragic. Um, it is, but if we dwell on that, oh yeah, yeah. we're going to be depressed. Right. It's totally depressing. So and, what I choose to do is know that God's in control. Right. And I want to go a step farther. I'm glad you said that because I think this is this is where you can almost look at this as a test. It's, yes. a t- it's a test of your faith. Those of you that are listening right now, it's a test of your faith. You can you can you, you you can wake up in the morning if if first off, be grateful for what you have. The fact that you woke up this morning, because not everybody did. Yeah. So be and you're like, well, that's kind of you know a big deal. I woke up. Everybody went. No, not everybody woke up this morning. So be grateful that you, that God allowed you to wake up this morning. And and that's how you build that trust. That's how you build more faith is is being grateful for the just that. If you're just grateful for that, you're on the right path. And then from yeah. there, you can grow into into um, other things as well. I'm going to get off on a tangent. Let's go back to the um, <laughs> what you're doing here. So yeah, yes. Um, so back to even looking at Old Testament times and the whole system that God created for the Israelites, I don't believe that we are bound to all of those. Uh, you know, we, we don't live. We're not Israelites. We're not. Right. It's different now, but the principles are the same. But when I look at, in particular, the sacrificial system, well, Let's go back to the Garden of Eden and then and then come to that, because in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter one, twenty nine and thirty says 
I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. All right, so obviously people were vegetarians. Animals didn't eat each other at that time, but we're talking perfection right and the very beginning perfection and then they were cast out of the garden now once they were cast out i believe that their food changed um i don't see any evidence biblically that people were eating animals at that time i don't believe that we were however um abel raised sheep and goats why was he raising sheep and goats? Right. I mean, there's only a limited need for clothing, perhaps made from wool. So why sheep and goats? The answer to me seems obvious. They produce some really incredible milk. So we may not have been eating sheep and goats, but I, I believe that people were probably consuming dairy products, raw dairy products, from these animals. And there's evidence all around the world from the earliest civilizations of people consuming milk from their from their cattle, from their camels, from their um, their horses, their sheep, their goats, and all of that um, from every mammal that's possible to milk, obviously not things like pigs and you know dogs and cats. but um, but people have always cultivated, some type of, of mammal for for dairy. So they've made pork, they've made kefir, they've made yogurt, they've made cheese, they've made butter. There's residue in the oldest shards of pottery of, of uh, proteins, casein proteins. That only comes from dairy. So I I believe it's highly likely that from the earliest of times, once we're out of the Garden of Eden, that people were at least consuming dairy products in addition to vegetation. And again, even though these people from the earliest of times are not in the Garden of Eden, they're in a in a nearly perfect world. There's There are no toxins. They're very, very close to the beginning of humankind where bodies are strong and healthy. So I believe that dietary changes... Um, or dietary needs were much different then than now. But then as time goes on and we have the worldwide flood, we have Noah and the ark. And of course, I 100% believe that that's not just a story, that that really happened. And there are cultures all over the world who have the same general story. Right. And we have physical evidence all over the world for a global flood. But once Noah and his family left the ark, well, even going into the ark, we always talk about animals going in two by two, and they were probably, you know, not full size. They were probably babies or, or juvenile animals to fit into the ark in terms of a larger cattle and camels and all of that. But regardless, there were some animals that were to go into the ark in sevens. Now, seven biblically is the number that signifies perfection. 
And those animals that went into the ark in groups of seven were what were known as the clean animals. Those are the animals that I believe we should be consuming more than the unclean. Um, so they would have included things like sheep and goats and cattle. Um, why is this? Well, once they came off of the ark, the first thing God told them to do was to sacrifice animals, clean animals, those animals that were not eating the flesh and the decay and all of that from other beings, but clean animals, which were mostly pretty much herbivores. And so God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth the fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life that is its blood. So in other words, you kill the animal, you let the blood drain and then you can eat the animal. So when Noah and his sons made these sacrifices on the altar that they built upon departing the ark, what did they do with it? And likewise, when God set up the priesthood and people are bringing their animals, doves and oxen and, you know, all of the, the animals that they were commanded to sacrifice, what happened with that? And this is something people don't ever think about. But there was a very clear purpose, and it was twofold. First of all, the aroma of these animals was pleasing to God. So if it's pleasing to God, why wouldn't it be pleasing to us? And the most prized parts of the animals were the organs and the leaf fat that surrounded the organs, okay? That's a terrible thing. Cholesterol makes us have heart attacks. Baloney, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. The reason why animals have, and people too, have this thicker layer of fat around our heart and our kidneys, our internal organs, is because that is the preferred fuel for those organs to function properly. And that fat was pleasing to God. It was the best of the best. And the organs were the best of the best. I want everybody to stop what you're doing, rewind the last 30 seconds, and listen to what she is saying again. It's so important what she just said. It is. It's, it's literally mind-blowing because, like, you go and you, t you take an animal right now, let's uh, like a beef or whatnot, and, and, you, and people think the best parts of, of a— of a beef or like a steer or a cow, the, the sirloin, the, the, you know, ribeye, rib you know, prime, that stuff, liver, heart, you know, the, 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 uh, and even like people are like, you know, oh, you don't take the bones. Yeah, you do take, get the bone marrow out. I mean, the, even that stuff, it's, it, it blows yeah. my mind that I feel like we've been, Uh, you know what? I'm going to say it. I feel like we've been lied to for so many years of the things that we should be eating and shouldn't be eating. We and, have. And then you ask yourself, why? Hmm. 
And I always tell everybody, what listeners, what do I always tell you guys on stuff like this? Follow the money. Yeah, absolutely. And all of that started in the very late 1800s with the advent of Crisco. Replace (laughs) traditional fats with hydrogenated fats, which are horrible for our body. Right. And then we move into the now. Uh, one of the things that I like to do is look at photos of people from the turn of the 20th century. Oh yeah. And you don't see a fat person. No. Um, you see businessmen in suits, and they're all slender and healthy looking. People worked. People walked. People ate real food. Then um, through the World War II era. The best foods for us were somewhat scarce for the American tables and definitely for the uh, for tables around the world. And I want to bring up that the Mediterranean diet, as it's known today, is not the Mediterranean diet that was pre-World War II. So where the experts uh, like to talk about how healthy people were on living on the Mediterranean diet, well, they're not anymore because that diet, what is touted as a traditional diet, is not traditional at all. A real Mediterranean diet incorporated a lot of seafood, yep. which is very fatty, yep. very delicious, a lot of uh, goat and sheep, um, not so much cattle until you get into the mountains, right. but but real Parmesan and real mozzarella are made from mozzarella from buffalo milk, which is about 12 to 14 percent butter fat. So so the actual traditional Mediterranean diet is not the same as what is what is we're being told today. You're making me hungry, Marie. It's like I'm a, everybody knows I'm a foodie and she's talking like Mediterranean and I'm a huge like I'm just a, a, a foodie, but I love the fact that you're bringing that up because there's there's so many different fads of diets yes. that are out there. You know, I remember back in the oh, it must have been the uh, early 90s through through most of the 90s it was it was the Atkins diet and yeah. I, I think now a lot of that has changed it's more uh, keto or you, or you have, you know, it, it, and a lot of these diets that are, that are resurrecting, if you will, now today are, are the same diets that, that you and I have seen throughout the years, yeah. just yeah, a different absolutely. name. They're just promoting it under a different, a different type of name. And then you do have some more other diets coming up. Let me ask you this. How many how many fad diets or diets have you seen that are out there today? Just a, a, a random guess, if you had to guess, how many diets um, do you think there are? Probably, probably eight solid ones right now. Yeah. And I really do want to talk about some of them. Um, but even the Atkins diet, it was on the right track. The keto diet, it's on the right track. The paleo diet, it's on the right track. And yet all of those things are missing some key components. Um, for instance... First of all, we have to talk naturally raised. Right. We can say organic, but organic, USDA wow. organic doesn't mean a whole lot. No, because they um, change everything every every yeah. f- every few years. So let's let's. Yeah. I, I want to dive into that. You say organic. What's the definition? What's the true definition of organic compared to what we see on a label at your local grocery store? So the true organic would be like my friend Joel Salatin talks about beyond organic. It is at the heart of it. It should be naturally raised animals, regenerative 
farming practices. But what we really have instead is just controlling what goes into the animal's mouth. And okay, so they shouldn't have much chemical input, but a little bit is okay. And let's feed them, let's feed cattle and pigs soy and and uh, corn and keep them in big barns, which are actually factories. That's not that's not God given organic. We need to go back to naturally raised open pastures. Yes, rotating pastures. Yes. Um, we were, of course, at, at Joel Salatin's Polyface Farm uh, the weekend of August 12th, 13th, 14th. And his family bought that farm in 1960, and it was full of gullies. Uh, it had been overgrazed. It had no more or very little topsoil. And yet, using God-given principles of regenerative farming, in a few years, it became a verdant pasture land. Actually, we did that ourselves on our family farmstead. Um, we bought a 10-acre piece of land with a giant house on it. Um, it had been monocropped with cabbage, conventionally heavily sprayed, and then with genetically modified corn, heavily sprayed for decades. Yeah. Um, it grew thistles, and it grew... Uh, well, it, it grew actual herbs. There's no such thing as a weed. God gave everything to us for a purpose. purpose. Thistles, for instance, reach, they have a tap root that reaches very, very deep into the ground and pulls up minerals when they're absent from the surface. Conventional farming, especially utilizing chemicals like glyphosate, destroy the microbes and kill the soil. So there's nothing left there really to take in for a plant. So a, a thistle is just a great example of God's design. So that thistle or burdock, they reach way down into the ground and they pull up minerals from, from deep, sometimes feet beneath the soil surface, and they bring it to the surface. Then that plant is eaten, it dies, it creates fertilizer uh, it, eventually yeah, yeah. essentially I mean, that's what it does you know she she's talking about regenerative pastures and and those of you will know just in a previous episode recently we talked with aj richards uh, from cody wyoming that's that that's what he's doing right now is the regenerative pastures and stuff out there so the fact that we have Marie, we, we brought this up in this discussion and you and i prior to starting we're, we're talking a, a little bit about it and it's very interesting because we bring up, we're talking about the Bible. You're talking, mm -hmm. you mentioned the Garden of Eden. For all my military folks that have been deployed, such as myself, Iraq, 2003, Iraq's a very biblical area. Yeah. Just south of Baghdad is where they feel that that's where the Garden of Eden where we're, we're, we're life have, has started and and down in the southern part of Iraq you have the house of Abraham and and whatnot but when you think of Iraq what do you think just a, a barren desert you know crap hole so to speak but yeah. there's parts of it that you have the Euphrates and you have the Tigris River that run yeah. through it today and you go through some of these towns you go through miles and miles and miles of just dirt just sand and then you come into like a, a town and it's like an oasis. It's kind of like watching, you know, I compared to like watching Aladdin or something like that as a kid. You see yeah. like giant palm trees and stuff like that. That's what that whole area used to look like. 
Yeah. Until Saddam Hussein had taken over and completely wiped out that whole area. Now, that's not to say that that area can't look like that again. There's certain ways yeah. to do it. It would cost some money to do it, but as long as you have that's that's the process that that we're talking about with regenerative pastures and whatnot. If if the animal has food and and they have water, you could take them out into a desert, give them food, give them water, and in a couple of years, you're going to have an area that's just lush with with green grass and vegetation. Yeah. And that's what a couple of groups like Heifer International and the Allen Savory Institute do. They do exactly that. They go into desertified um, locations, um, some in the United States, including Arizona, New Mexico, and some in other parts of the world, Africa in particular. Um, and they take these places that don't grow anything and people are just barely surviving and they teach regenerative agriculture. We cannot have sustainable agriculture without animals. No, I, I, that, I they're, agree. They're part of the design. Right. Absolutely can't do it. Right. So let me, um, let, let me ask you this. Do you have a garden at home? I certainly do. Okay. Yeah. I, I have, so I grew up, you know, my grandparents, even to, even to this day, they're going to be 90 this year. God bless them. I, I love them to death. And, and wow. Yeah. Every time I go home, because I consider my home home in my heart is their house. Cause that was the first house I ever lived in. And when I go home, they have a, they, they have rhubarb, they have raspberries, strawberries, they have like more squash than you care to admit, quite <laughs> frankly. Um, so they have all this stuff. And I'm a, I love raspberries. I'm a sucker for raspberries. So I'll eat breakfast. I'll walk out into the raspberry patch and I'll just pick raspberries yeah. and eat raspberries. I say all this because I finally now in my 40s, I got back into like gardening. And I have, I have a hydroponics tree down in my house, but then I have... I can't take the camera out here, but there's 12, like, uh, five-gallon buckets on my back deck with uh -huh. with dirt and different things uh, grow, growing out of it. And let me tell you something. I picked a, a red onion uh, two days ago for the first time it was done. There is nothing better than eating something that you have grown yourself. Because first yeah. of all, it was our, it, 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 I didn't buy it at a store. I didn't... You know, it wasn't, you know, I, I didn't fertilize it with any, you know, chemicals or anything like that. It was egg whites or, or, or egg shells and, and coffee grinds. That, coffee grinds, that, yeah. Yep, that I, that I saw. And, and, and that's easy for me to get because I own a coffee company too. So it, it was like that was all stuff that we did. And I it, it was the best thing I've ever tasted. And, and I say that because I'm really trying to encourage people. Again, folks, if you're on, yeah. if you're listening to this, go to godsgoodtable.com and, and check out what, what they're doing. And they got it. They actually have a, a skill summit coming up here soon. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Yeah. Um, but, but I need to go out with my camera and write, write an article about how I garden. And it's a way that I would suggest you could garden with even greater success. Yeah. Um, because I live on a mountain now. We sold our farmstead. Uh, uh, you know, in, in a few years, we had a verdant, verdant pastures. Uh, of course, we had animals, milking cows, um, calves, um, chickens, ducks, whatever. Um, and it 
we sold it as a, a working organic farm. It was very lush and very beautiful. But now I live on a mountaintop that grows rocks. Um, I don't know too many people up on my mountain who are actually gardening with anything <laughs> that, you know, anything successfully. They, they just grow rocks. Right. Every year more pop up. Um, but I bought stock tanks a few years ago, stock tanks, like water tanks for yeah, cattle. Yeah. I do a Hugel culture style garden in my stock tanks. And I also do lasagna gardening, like back to Eden garden. So I've started a couple of beds. My problem is I have to enclose them because we have a lot of deer too. Um, but in the backyard, I have stock tanks. I filled them first with logs and branches from non-conifer trees. So not pine, right. um, not anything with a heavy sap. Lots and lots of branches and logs. And then I brought in good soil and I did, I had to buy it. I, I bought a lot and I filled four of these big stock tanks with soil. And, and then I put a layer of good compost on top of that from a nearby horse farm. Um, and in the middle, I put a fish, I have a smaller tank and it's fish. And that's how I fertilize continually as I'm watering. So, you know, I'm scooping out with a bucket, all this good water from all the fish that are in there and I'm watering the tanks, um, but it's just producing abundantly. Um, this is the first year that I've been home as the, as not even as much as I should. I've been traveling a lot the last couple of years, but um, it's just going like gangbusters. So, so I, I want to back up real quick because you mentioned something about putting the twigs in, and and I know there's somebody out there. And when it, when I first started, I made the mistake of not doing layering it. So for for those that don't understand why you put twigs in, and and, and a good layer of twigs first, you want to explain that to them, please. Yeah, it's twofold. The primary reason is that the the sticks and the logs will absorb water and release it slowly. So even if there's drought and you're not home watering, um, it's slowly releasing moisture. And I found that to be very effective. But the other thing is that it slowly decomposes and produces carbon, carbon matter that the um, that the plants need. Now you're putting in nitrogen when you're uh, watering from the fish tank or when you're putting uh, leaves on it in the fall. That That's nitrogen or you can cover crop mm -hmm. for nitrogen, um, but you need the carbon input as well. So so it's a twofold purpose there with twigs and uh, twigs and logs. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, folks, godsgoodtable.com. Open it up. Check this out. Um, I want to I do a little switch here because I'm on the website. Traditional Skills Summit, September 12th yeah. through the 15th. Talk about it. I, I, I just feel so honored and privileged to have been asked to take part of this because some of the greatest people in this whole realm of um, health, nutrition, homesteading, um, traditional skills that we all need, but have been to a very large degree abandoned. They're making a comeback. But some of the greatest people in that world are on that summit. And some of them, you know, I count as good friends. I'm really privileged to be uh, included in that circle. But the whole idea 
of this summit is to teach people things that we, these lost skills that we really need, whether the world collapses or not, we need these things. Um, I believe that nearly everyone should have backyard chickens and I'm fighting my husband on that and he's going to lose the battle. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot stand not having chickens in the backyard. I I generate a lot of food scrap. I'm not throwing them in the trash. Besides that, if I do, the bear just makes a mess of my trash. So so I save my food scraps and give them to other people for their chickens. No, I want to throw them in my backyard for my chickens. Chickens are great at, at, at recycling. Yeah. So you throw them all your scraps and they give you eggs and they give you meat and they give you great manure, a yep. uh, great compost. And they can, you can use them to clean up spaces that you want for landscaping or gardening. I call it gardening because right. I think we should be growing more food and less lawn. I, I, think, <laughs> I think so too. And here, I know there's somebody out there would that, that's like oh, I'd like chickens, but there just seems like a lot of work. Listen, if you if you think oh. if you th- it it is and it isn't. I, it's it's a mindset, in my opinion, because you got to look at what are you benefiting from it. Like I've yeah. talked about having uh, chickens, uh, and when I get my next house, where I'm looking at property and stuff like that, we're, we're gonna have you know chickens that lay eggs, and then we'll have meat yep. chickens, meat chickens that we're. It, they're all like, well, well, what's the difference? Well, without getting too long-winded about it that your meat chickens in a factory in a in a factory that you're going to a store and bought steroid injected chickens right those are only i mean those are those those last about 30 maybe 40 days and then and then they're on the shelf somewhere if you raise them yourself you do it for about 90 days at least from what i've what i've looked at if you can do about 90 days but and then what you do is you just move them around the yard let them eat up and that it fertilizes the yard like you everything that yeah you just said yeah it's super easy um we just built chicken tractors and we also used electro netting so our meat birds would start out in the chicken tractors and then they would eventually graduate to just open um electro netting they always had shelter you always had to protect them from the avian right. predators right. as well as as the four-footed kind um but we raised, I think at the most, 150 a year. And then we we would have butchering parties. Remember, I have nine kids and they all have friends. And our door has always been open for people to come and visit. So I feed a lot that of is, people. That's a heck of a party. I tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and actually we butchered and we ate more than that because the, the extra roosters and the older hens would go into the stew pot. I used to like to make mean rooster stew. That was always a, a favorite at our house. <laughs> do, do, do we have a cookbook out that I don't know about? Is, is I'm there... working on oh, okay. it. Okay, I'm just asking. I'm working on I'm it. Asking. Yeah, I've got to get it done. But Aaron and I agree that uh, that has got to happen. Um, I've got it started, so I've just got to dedicate the time to get it finished. Um, yeah, because I, I do teach people how to cook. I teach people um, what they should be eating, how to source it, how to prepare it. Um, but I've also developed recipes and formulas that I, I want to share with people. So that needs to come out in book form. But right now I do a lot of seminars, workshops, um, a lot of teaching for other organizations. So I'm available. Um but even on a small scale, you can raise a few chickens for eggs and or meat. 
Um, partridges, quail, that's another thing. They're much smaller and their life cycle uh, is much shorter. So in six weeks, you can harvest quail, mm -hmm. six to eight weeks, but you can constantly harvest their eggs. Of course, both the eggs and the quail themselves are smaller, um, but in a small space. I, I always think, well, if I had to live in a condo, I'd just take the patio and I'd have I'd have a lot of vegetables and some fruits growing, more vegetables than fruits, because fruits are dessert. At least that's what they're supposed to be. That's what God gave them to us for. They contain nutrients, but also sugars. Um, but I'd have some quail on an end wall. I, you know, I'd do something because I just cannot conceive of not producing food or letting scraps go to waste. Um, you know, God created this you, system. You, it works. You, you, you bring the definition of, of creating your own ecosystem. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's what I absolutely love about you know, homesteading. If that's what you want to yeah. terminology for it, but I, I want to get to a point and I've said this in other shows that where I'm, I'm completely self-sufficient. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, there's going to be some things I'll have to go to the store for. Like I, I eat, you know, rice i'm a, you know my background yeah. my family's japanese you know got family members that were japanese uh and, and whatnot and that's a big part of their their diet and, and stuff like that and speaking yeah. of diets i, I kind of want to go back to that because you prior to that we, we talked about the daniel plan and there's there's certain diets yeah. and fads that are you mentioned the keto diet which i've i've tried but was it really sub sustainable for a longer period what what are your thoughts on these diets what's what are they missing? So the one thing that they're all missing is um, fermented foods. If you're not, and again, here, this is like, another God-given like process. Like cabbage or kombucha or like, yeah. What, yeah. Well, um, and kombucha, uh, but primarily the fermented vegetables like sauerkraut okay. and fermented pickles. If you're buying some in the store and it has vinegar on the label and it's not in the cold section. And sometimes even if it is, it's not alive. We don't want We do want to cook generally our vegetables, not all of our vegetables, but most, but we need fermented raw foods. Also kimchi, of course, is a Japanese or Korean. There's always the argument yeah. over who started it, but <laughs> Um, kimchi is the traditional Asian oh, sauerkraut yeah. and yeah. it's spicy. And I like to keep it in the fridge because I'll tell you what, if somebody's got a stomach bug or something else, that stuff kicks some butt. Yep, so, it sure does. <laughs> just take a, a sip a couple times a day and pretty much anything that ails you is going to go running and screaming away. <laughs> Get me away from this stuff. <laughs> One of my kids, I'd make it and she'd sit and she'd eat like a pint at a time. Yeah. And I'd say, how can you do that? Yeah. Slow down. <laughs> she never got sick. Oh, <laughs> but I tend to just do a lot of sauerkraut and I like to drink the brine. And my favorite is fermented garlic dill pickles. Um, so the reason for these things, they're super easy to make. And yes, you can purchase them. You just want them to be alive, unpasteurized and not with vinegar. Um is first of all, when you take any vegetable and you ferment it, which is, again, a totally natural process, God-given, mm -hmm. it exponentially creates uh, more nutrients. Vitamin C, for instance, in sauerkraut goes up something like 300%. Yep. Protein 
and now I'm not talking complete protein, but protein increases tenfold, something like that. But even more than that is that these foods contain live active enzymes. Those enzymes work in your gut to break down protein and fat. So that's why the Atkins diet is missing that, the traditional keto diet is missing that. You've got to have the fermented foods to break down what you're eating. But they also inoculate the gut with beneficial bacteria and they help to keep the microorganisms in the gut in balance. Okay, I, I got a question. I got to ask this because I how, how do I ask this? What, what am I trying to ask here, Maureen? Do you have a how-to when it comes to fermenting foods? I do. I have a class on our website. Yes. Okay. Yes. We do because have that. I, I tried doing, I took a, took a cabbage and, and I did like, you know, the top and poured a little bit of salt on it and then I put it in an airtight and did the whole thing. Let it sit for, I think I let it sit for about eight weeks. Whoa, that's six, potent. Six, yeah. Oh. And, like, and mushy. Yeah. Well, uh, and, and it was. And there was like a, a two inch layer of, I don't know what you would call it. It was like a foam mold. Was it like moldy looking or yeah. yeasty? Yeah. Okay. That's kind yeast. It's perfectly harmless. You can pull it off and toss it to the chickens. Right. Or in the garden. So that's uh, that's normal because like everybody looked at that. It was yeah. my brother and my wife. They looked at it like that. That's not good, dude. And I was like, oh, it's sauerkraut. Like it's supposed to yeah. look like. You it scrape it was. off, and then you get the stuff at the bottom. Is what you, I'm not eating this stuff for crying out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, but you don't need to let it go so long. I used to ferment mine on the countertop for about a week, and then I'd put it in the basement where it was cooler for another week or two, and then I would refrigerate it, and that's fine. But mostly now I do it, I ferment it for about a week. Um, there are vessels and aids that you can use to make it a little easier and um, to eliminate the the, the yeast problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't, it's not fail proof, but it does help. So you always want to have, um, if you're in a quart jar, if the crowd is in a quart jar, say you always want to have at least an inch and a half or two inches of brine at the top. Right. Um, and you can weight down the vegetable matter with a sterilized stone or a glass disc. I have some glass discs. Um, you also can use a wine, um, what do you call it? Um, oh, my mind draws a blank. Um, in winemaking, there are these tops that it's it's a tube, a squiggly tube that releases it releases carbon dioxide. Fermentation produces carbon dioxide, so you want that to release while it creates a water seal so that air doesn't get in and contaminate. Gotcha. And I also do commonly use a harsh crock, which is an old style German crock. You can order them from Radiant Life Catalog. And I think we we have them on our resource page, I think. Um, If we don't, (laughs) we should. But I believe we have one um, on our resource page. And that has a well at the top. Mm -hmm where you put water and the lid actually has a divot so that the divot releases carbon dioxide 
but the water prevents air from getting in. And then it also has stones in it, porcelain or clay stones that weight down the vegetable matter beneath the brine. Now, the one trick that I did learn the hard way was you have to sterilize those stones before you put them in. But that's like the most fail-proof way that I have ever utilized. But, you know, I... I I ferment in five-gallon buckets. So for the Weston A. Price Conference, I'm oftentimes the bread maker and the and the fermenter, and I'll bring 35 or 40 gallons of ferments to a conference in five-gallon buckets. Yeah. Jeez, that's a lot. The hardest part of that, though, Adam, is cleaning up the mess afterwards. <laughs> I was just going to say, I can't imagine what that's going to be like. I've fermented everything from cool-looking radishes and obviously cabbages to, uh, oh, I don't know, just a lot of different things. But it's a, it's a really beneficial food to consume, and I believe we should be consuming that every day. Um, but God also gave us other types of fermentation. There are, there are three different types. One is sugar or carb, and, and then there's the lacto-fermentation, which is what we're talking about with vegetables. Lactobacilli are the bacteria that actually do the fermenting, and they were first discovered in dairy. That's why the prefix is lacto for dairy, but mm. they're but these bacteria are actually present on any plant that in particular grows close to the ground. So cabbages, yeah. they, they don't need any help because there's plenty of lactobacillus. Um, and then of course there's a yeast fermentation, but you know, wine and beer. Yeah. Uh, years ago, I watched a documentary, which I would recommend to anyone, which is titled How Beer Saved the World. Um, and it didn't literally save the world, but um, but it's cool because it explores how you can take something that otherwise would make you sick. Yeah. And through a natural fermentation process, it becomes this health enriching um, thing. And, you know, we can talk about alcohol and obviously a lot of people have problems with alcohol, but when consumed appropriately, again, yeah. Wine and beer have real benefits yeah. to our overall bodily health. Right. So. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I I stopped drinking beer a couple of years ago because it it wasn't. I turned red, about as red as flag in the background there, and I don't, uh, know, I don't know if it's the hops or, or whatever that's in it, but it 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 got, yeah. I I do partake in a glass of wine every yeah. now out now and then uh, because of the health benefits. Yeah, and it there. should be red wine, of course. Oh, yeah, that's all. And that's organic. All yeah. Hey, folks, again, if you're listening to this, go to godsgoodtable.com. Um, when you're on the website, Maureen mentioned uh, resources and stuff. You can actually, like a lot of the stuff she's talking about, if you're interested in doing this stuff, you can order, like, pots. You can order uh, the fermentation um pot that she was talking about all of that stuff is on her website there so i encourage you guys to go check this out she's got classes on here she's got a podcast uh that's on here um you're adding more all the time that's and and the classes you know not like how to do this take some time and do this stuff that's what god wants you to do that's why it was here right um we're we're, go ahead 
at our event um, the other week, Joel Joel spoke on Sunday. He, I call him Preacher Joel now. Um, he gave a really excellent lesson on Sunday morning, and in it, he talked about um, you know God gave us all these instructions, and we've so abused them and abandoned them, and and he it begs the question, does God care? Does God care about our physical health? And I absolutely believe he does. Oh, yeah. But here's the other thing. God gave us free will. Yep. So it it, it, it lies in our responsibility. God said, I'm not going to do it for you, but here's the thing. God, when you, when you pray for strength, God just doesn't give you strength. He gives you opportunities be, to become stronger, right? There, yes. That's, so it's, that's why we have free will. It's it's our responsibility. It's God says here, I, mm-hmm. I'll provide all of this for you. Whether you do it or not is that's up to you. That's that's your free will. Um, yeah, Marine, yeah. we're coming. We're coming up on time. And before I let you go, there's a, there's a question that I have to ask. I ask this to all my guests. Name a time in your life when your feet were on the line and you had to make that decision. What was it, and what was the atmosphere like? Hmm. Um, the thing that comes to mind was not pertaining to my bodily health, but to that of my husband. Okay. Um, you mentioned free will, and we all have it, including him. So I work very hard to provide good food for my family and a good environment for my family. And my husband uh, benefits from that. He's had severe Lyme disease, really, really bad Lyme disease. And from that spring, rheumatoid arthritis. Um, And I won't go into all of the details, but we had him recovered from those things about 95%. um, And there was a period of time when uh, our living situation was just such that his work was elsewhere. So, so he was living somewhere else and he was not eating the food that I was packing and sending for him every day. And he, his health definitely deteriorated. Um, but three years ago, well, and I'm going to throw in there too, that smoking is a really bad habit and, Anyone who's ever done it knows how hard it is to kick. And and I did. Uh, I kicked it almost 38 years ago, I think. But he never has been able to kick that very, very um, health-depriving right. habit. So between all of those health conditions and the smoking, um, three years ago, he had a massive Widowmaker heart attack. Um, they call them Widowmakers for a reason. But in that event, I saw God's hand in it all the way through from from the very beginning and that he was working in the extreme northeast of Maine and I hadn't seen him for a month. Um, I flew up for a weekend so I could be with him and my plane was delayed. It was delayed once, and he said, well, I'm going to catch a ride down to Bangor, and I'll meet you there, and we'll drive up. Then I had rented a car. And then it was delayed a second time, and he said, oh, let's just get a hotel room. So we got a hotel room in Bangor, Maine. 
And in the middle of the night, he started convulsing in my arms. And I knew. Um, it was extremely traumatic. And I won't go into all of the details. But from the first, <laughs> Bangor has Northern Lights Hospital, which is the premier hospital for heart patients in the entire region. So people are life flighted into there from all over the Northeast, specifically for heart problems. So we were in the right place because God put us there. Were we in Lubeck, Maine, I would have been a widow all alone on a cliffside with a dead husband. So that's number one. Number two is that I had a literal crash course in CPR. I'd never done it before. Had to figure out how to get the phone on speakerphone. They sent the maintenance man up to help me. He said, I don't know what to do. I'm going to go back to work while my husband is having a heart attack. Um, so I figured that out and kept him alive somehow, even though I thought he was gone. Um, but eventually the police and the paramedics arrived so number two thing that's all God is that they are one of only three hospitals in the country at that time that have the technology to chill a body to protect the organs. And I knew that his oxygen or his brain was likely deprived of oxygen in this whole process. We weren't sure. Couldn't know until he woke up, which happened five days later. Um, but they were able to chill his body down immediately to protect his organs. So they got him to the hospital. I got there right in front of them. Uh, first and only ride in a police car. I hope it's my last. And uh, they wheel him out and I say, is he still alive? Yep, he's still alive. They're working on him and they've got him chilled. And I'm, you know, all this is happening and it's just overwhelming. Um, long story short, he didn't wake up from surgery. He had a hundred percent blockage in one in the major artery to his heart and 50% in another section. That's why I bring up the smoking and the rheumatoid arthritis, that combination. It's not cholesterol. And that was affirmed by all of his tests and other practitioners and doctors we've met with since. Uh, but at any rate, he did not wake up. Uh, that was Sunday night. He didn't wake up until Thursday afternoon. Every step of the way, there were major problems and they didn't say outright, he's not going home on his own two feet. You know, he's gonna go home in a box. They just, without saying that, you know, they kept me going, well, this thing has to happen, um, but you have to understand that it's not likely to happen or something else could happen, blah, blah, blah. But every step of the way, uh, and this was such a good learning experience to me, um, I just prayed very, very intentionally and others around the country and around the world who knew him did the same. Okay, so we need this. Here's our thing today, and here's our thing in the next hour. And one by one, every one of those prayers was answered positively. 
until on the very last day he had to wake up or he was done. And not only did he have to wake up, but we hoped he would wake up with an intact brain. That was always the looming question. Um, so he had to wake up. I was by his side. His mother, I think, was on the other side. He's, he woke up within just a few short minutes and he opened his eyes looking directly into mine. He didn't look around. He opened his eyes, looked into my eyes, smiled and puckered up to kiss me. <laughs> nice. So let me tell you, everywhere, right on. everywhere was answered. <laughs> and there's another part that I won't that's, talk about. That's classy right there. That's class right there. He- <laughs> I mean, God is in control, and he wanted me to know that. (laughs) It's a fabulous story. It's It's a a heart-wrenching story, story. and then he's like, he looked right at me, and he puckered up. He's like, yes, that is, yes. (laughs) Exactly. I love that. That was just fabulous. (laughs) Um, But then you ask about, like, stepping out on the line, and what do you do? Well, of course, his doctors are saying, well, he has to be on a low-fat diet, no salt, low salt, and I'm going... Uh huh. Yeah, right. That's going to happen. Um, his nurses, and it's those nurses who keep people alive in intensive care. Yeah. It's not the doctors. Yeah. They run something by the doctors, but it's the nurses making moment by moment decisions right. and keeping people alive. Um, but they were all awed by watching us. They were in favor of things that I was trying to do, including, of course, he had pneumonia because he was on a respirator. That always, almost always happens. And one of them allowed me to just close the door and close the curtains and rub essential oils into his temples and into his feet as I prayed over him. They allowed us, uh, um, it was always supposed to be only two in the room at a time. And they took really good care of me too. Um, but they allowed the entire family, all of the family came together, parents, stepmother, um, all of the children, some of the the son, daughter-in-law, um, all of us came together and they, they came to say goodbye and to be with me, but we didn't have to say goodbye. Yeah. And they allowed us to surround him that last night before he had to wake up and we prayed over him and we sang over him. Now I still laugh because the song that they chose to sing was amazing grace. And we always sing that at funerals. Uh, (laughs) I thought, Oh man, if he can hear this, I hope he doesn't think that (laughs) the end is there. Anyway. um, Once he was able to eat, which was several days later, of course they, I would choose his food from a very bland schedule, but there's a farmer's market downtown and, and George's doctor back home, who is a functional medicine, holistic doctor, had a son who was a doctor in the same hospital, the same town. And he took me to the farmer's market and we got um, raw butter and I had my unrefined salt with me um, and I had raw milk and the nurses kept that stuff. For me in the back <laughs> and I was just asked for it and they knew what was up and a couple of them said you know I think you should be doing this yeah yeah uh, so that was my stepping out I'm just going to do this and um 
his primary client, which is who he was working for up in Maine, is also an, a, a retired emergency room doctor. And she she flew back up to be with him and help and to oversee things to, as a help to us. And um, she was there when his lunch came in one day and she said, you need to put some butter on that. And I said, I already have. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she was on board too. So we just had to hide it from the cardiologist and the hospital, the hospitalist. But um, we did that and we got him off of all of his medications in a very short period of time as well. Um, That's, that's an amazing story. And I appreciate you sharing that with us and the, and the listeners. Um, that it's, yeah, it's, that one that one's gonna <laughs> she he puckered up, open up, puckered up. That's after yeah. you know, that's funny. Um yeah. folks, godsgoodtable.com. Get on there, check it out. Make sure you follow them on social media, watch their videos, listen to their podcasts. Yeah. Um this is this is something we all should be doing. In, in some form or fashion. We're not saying you got to go out and just change everything right off the bat. I and mean, you can baby step into it and take gradually, you know, get into it. That's what I did. I started doing it in, you know, little pots and then it was the tree garden. And then I got five yeah. gallon buckets. I, it, you got to start somewhere though. And, and we're actually working on that right now. We're, yeah. kind of, we're working on a short course, a get started. Perfect. Perfect. So we're going to have her back on again. This isn't the last that you've heard of her. Um, and you can find her podcast and stuff is at godsgoodtable.com. Or if you're on the uh, Heroes Media Group uh, website, you'll see her podcast there as well. Um, Marine, we're out of time, but I want to thank you so much for the opportunity to come talk with our listeners today. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having me, Adam. Absolutely. Folks, again, godsgoodtable.com. Check it out. Change the way you eat. That's what God wants you to do. And and I'm, I'm going to say this too. We mentioned it a couple of times, just kind of indirectly with examples that we gave in this episode today. If you're somebody out there that's struggling uh, or not really sure or not really familiar with God's word, it's okay. And, and some people have a, have a problem with, you know, praying. Well, I'm not really praying right. I suffered that myself for, for many years. Here's the thing that I would challenge you listeners out there. All you got to do is just talk. Be it in the car, by yourself, before you get out of bed for a couple of minutes in the morning. God wants to hear from you. So I challenge all of you to take that challenge and, and, and talk to God today. That's all the time that we have today, folks. Make sure you check out all the great shows over at Heroes Media Group. I'm Adam. Until next time, you've been listening to The Decision Hour.